Matthew 14. Let's stand together, please, and begin reading in verse 22. Matthew 14, 22. And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. So Jesus tells the disciples to get into a boat to cross over the Sea of Galilee and he stayed on shore and he sent the disciple or the multitudes away. He sent the crowd away. Verse 23, And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. We get the picture, they're out in the boat, he's alone in the mountain, he's praying, it's nighttime. Verse 24, back out on the sea, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. Fourth watch of the night would be anywhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., they're in this storm, and Jesus comes walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. They were disturbed. They were shocked. Verse 27, and, But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou... Bid me come unto thee on the water. None of us know what all he was thinking at that moment. He might have regretted it a few minutes later. Imagine that. I mean, it'd be one thing to walk on. You've seen a small lake or when the water's just still, still as slick as glass. I mean, if you're going to walk on the water, that'd be the time to walk on the water, right? This is a storm, tossed in a storm. Lord, if, that, if it be thou, verse 28, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, one simple word, he said, come. <clears throat> and when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Now that's not save me, like save me from my sins or save me in my lost condition. That's save me because I'm sinking. I'm going to drown. Rescue me. Come to my help. And immediately, verse 31 says, Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. And said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the boat, or in the ship, came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. What a wonderful testimony. What a wonderful example of your power and your might. Lord, there's no one like you that controls the elements, who can command the storms to cease, 
who can even walk on the water and then enable a mortal, a human, like Peter to walk on the water. It's amazing. Lord, we praise you for that. We honor you. We pray that as we study this passage tonight, that, Lord, we could see hope and help for ourselves. Lord, that you can help us do things that otherwise we could never do on our own. We pray for that. Father, for those who are here tonight and genuinely want to go forward spiritually, grow in grace, conquer some, some stubborn habit or improve in some area of our life, we know we need you. We acknowledge that. We pray that you just give us direction and grace and help and hope. I pray if there are those here tonight that are comfortable where they are and really lack the, any sincere desire to grow spiritually, I pray you'd work in our hearts and lives as well tonight. May you have your will and way. Most of all, I pray for those who might be here that are lost. God, that the Spirit of God would bring conviction and Lord, you'd work in hearts, and we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. You know, one of the things that this passage um, reminds me of, and that is that, you know, faith and obedience go hand in hand. Um, what this passage illustrates for me is how God can help us do things that we could never do on our own. That's a very simple thing, isn't it? But it's true. Peter, Peter could not do this on his own. But with God's help, he could do that. And God wants us to learn principles for our life, I think, from passages like this. And, and I would like to think tonight that as we think about our own lives, we think about improvements in our own life, that we, we could see in this passage some principles that would help us in this journey of faith. I mean, um, there, there are two things that really stand out to me in this, in this miracle. First of all, as I was praying, and that is just the power of God over the elements. I mean, God can do anything. God made everything out of nothing, and God can do anything. God could keep, Jesus could keep himself walking on the surface of the water. Wouldn't that have been great to see? But not only could he keep himself, but he could, he could even keep Simon Peter walking on the surface. Did you really believe that happened? Absolutely it happened. But another thing that stands out to me is Peter got out of that boat. Let me just take a little survey. Uh, I used to fish uh, a lot more than I do now. I fish none now, but I used to fish some. And even after I got saved, I fished quite a bit. And even after we moved here and I was in the ministry for a while, we would fish fairly often, but I've kind of gotten away from that. Here's the survey. How many of you, ever, you fishermen have ever been on, in a boat, maybe on the Merrimack, maybe on the Burbus, maybe in a lake, and it's crossed your mind, I wonder what it would be like to get out of this boat and walk on the water. How many of you ever had that thought? I certainly have but I've never been able to get out of the boat. <laughs> it's an amazing thing to me that Peter got out of the boat, right? And I've heard all kinds of sermons on this passage. I've actually heard, I was telling uh, Brother Smith today, 
I, I, uh, I had a guy, heard a guy preach one time a whole sermon on how Peter was wrong for getting out of the boat. I mean, I've heard lots of preaching on this passage. I've heard people just blast him for his unbelief. You know, what an unbeliever. How, how terrible faith he is. I have, nothing but, I have nothing but commendation for Peter. He got out of the boat. Now we have in this passage uh, an example of obeying God by faith. I gave you this handout. Don't, please don't um, um, critique it too much. It wasn't proofed. I even see the numbers are wrong on it. It was a last minute thought downstairs right before I came up here. But we have an example of obeying God by faith. An example, very simple, an example of obeying God by faith. And none of us, you know, rest assured, I'm fairly confident when I say this, none of us are ever going to be challenged in this same way. God's never probably going to command you, young person, to get out of a boat and to walk on the water. But all of us do face challenges when it comes to obedience. You see, teenager, God, God's not going to tell you to walk on the water. But you know what God tells, does tell you? He tells you to obey your parents. And you know what? That's not always easy. God's commands are not always easy. But it's, it is hip, hypocritical for us to say we're going to be Christians, and yet we're not going to, by faith, do what God wants us to do. And there are going to be things, I promise you, in God's will, there are going to be things that God wants us to do that require two things, faith and obedience. Faith and obedience. Not your feeling, but you know what God wants you to do, and you're going to do it by faith. And that's exactly what Peter had. Now, one thing Peter had was he had this sort of adventurous spirit. I mean, Jesus did not bring this subject up. Jesus didn't say, anybody in the boat think you have strong faith? Come out here. Jesus didn't even bring it up. Peter brought it up. Of course, Peter's that kind of way, you know, sort of impulsive, you know, open mouth, insert foot. And uh, so he, he brought up this possibility. He said, Lord, if that's you, then bid me to come. So he had this kind of a spirit about him, which can be a good thing. So with that in mind, let's just think about this for a moment. What, what could you think of, like kind of goes back to what I mentioned a moment ago about the $1,000. What, what could you think of right now? Just think about this for a moment. That if you could change about your life, you know God would be pleased. Some area where you don't have the victory. Some area where you know you're not really obeying God. I mean, could you, could you think of something that if it wasn't for your own fear, if it wasn't for your own uh, timidity, that you could have more victory in your life? Let me give you some thoughts. You know, imagine, imagine we're having a testimony service and, and I get up here and say, you know, I wonder if anybody... You, you know, you have a testimony, something God has done for you, something that you're very grateful to God for, and yet you never get past, you never get past the fear of speaking up publicly for something God has done for you. 
It's not that God has not done anything for you. It's just that you don't have victory in this area of your life. You know, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We ought to have something. Maybe it's about witnessing. Maybe it's a, I don't, I can't, I cannot, uh, in my mind, imagine a Christian, a real Christian, someone who's generally been converted, has some understanding of the Bible, defending a position that says, I'm just not going to witness to people. I'm not going to talk to people about the Lord. And yet many people seldom, if ever, witness to people. I don't think it's because they don't think they should. I think it's because they're afraid to. I think it's because the devil has them defeated. I think it's because they have some kind of an inhibition about it. I think most Christians, most Christians would agree with this, that we ought to engage people in the community with the gospel and with our testimony and encourage people to consider Christ. I think most people think we should do that. But if I were to ask how many people have done that in the last week or the last two weeks or the last month, there'd be people in here that say, I just haven't done that. It's not that they don't think they should. It's just that something is keeping them from that. And it could be even, it could be anything. I can remember as a, as a fairly new Christian, I knew I was saved, we were plugged into a church, but I would stand at the end of the service fearful that the pastor would ask me to dismiss in prayer. I was afraid of that. It wasn't that I wasn't saved. It wasn't that I didn't love the Lord. It's just it was an area of my life that, that I was fearful of. And there may be people here, how many of you ever had something like that where you were sort of afraid of something. A lot of people have. I can, I can remember when it was seemed so awkward for me to say amen in a service. I thought about it. I heard other people saying amen. I kind of wanted to, but I didn't know what it'd sound like. It might come out wrong. What I'm saying is all of us deal with this stuff. And what happens is we let the devil win out over our life. And it's not that it, we, don't, we don't do these things because that's a great amen, by the way. Let me, let me go over that point again. What is, it, what is it that God would want us to, to look at and say, you know, by the grace of God, with God's help, I'm going I'm to really improve in this area. God doesn't want you to walk on the water. But there are things he wants you to do. And we don't, we don't just imagine those things. Those things are in the Bible. Wouldn't it be great just to conquer something that has defeated us in our life? Faith challenges us to go farther than we have gone before, to go where we may be uncomfortable, but we're going to do it trusting the Lord. Now let me just tell you something, and, and I could use this passage as a proof text for this. You don't have to get out of the boat. You, you can stay in the boat if you want to. If you're comfortable, just if you're comfortable right where you are spiritually, and you're, if you're comfortable right where you are spiritually, and you want to, you, you could probably live another 10 or 20 years there. Some of you have lived there for quite a while and not change it. You don't have to get out of the boat. God's, God never forced anybody to get out of the boat. Peter volunteered to get out of the boat. 
And I don't know if you could say that this is a, you couldn't say this is a, a, a doctrinal position, but based on this text, most people stay in the boat, right? I mean, most people, if there were 12 of them in the boat with Jesus, only one of them got out of the boat, some people accept that status quo. Some people prefer it. They choose it. So with that as, a, with that as an introduction, I'm going to answer a question from our text with several different points that I think apply to what we're talking about tonight. And the question is, what does it take to get out of the boat? What does it take? And we might think it takes boldness. We might think it takes, you know, teaching. Maybe you have to go to class. Take a college class, Walking on the Water 101. But what does it take? I'm going to give you several things. Number one, it takes a clear understanding of God's will. That's where it begins. This was what Peter was defining in verse 28, where it says, And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. He, he, Peter wanted to do it. But he had to know that God was in it. He had to know it. Now I could stand up here tonight and I could take a list of 100 things maybe or 20 things or 5 things and just say, here's some things that I'd like for you to think about that maybe God would want you to do. But the, the reality is most of the time we know what those things are. We, we know some things that really we should be doing that we're not doing. Here's where obedience starts. Obedience starts with knowing something is God's will. Bid me, simple phrase, bid me. He says to Jesus, he's in the boat, Jesus on the water, bid me to come unto thee. So it's a personal thing, bid me. He wasn't asking about John, he wasn't asking about uh, Thomas, he wasn't asking about anybody else in the boat. He said me. Bid me to come. Is this your will for me? Now please hear what I'm saying tonight. If you're not willing to answer that question, and, and, then it's not going to work for you. You know, as long as you can say, as long as you can get in your mind and say, well, God may want everybody else to be a witness, but he doesn't want me to be that. If you can convince yourself of that, then it won't work. You have to, you have to first define, what is this God's will for me? This is what God wants. Now that doesn't fix the problem, but it, but it really defines where we're headed. Bid me to come unto thee, he said. He's, given, he's making it very specific. This is, I'm doing it toward you. I'm doing it toward God. I'm doing it toward God's will. Bid me to come unto thee on the water. He clearly defined what he wanted to do. Now I just want to, I hope you have that little, I gave you this handout, this, tonight because I want you to take this home with you and think about it, but that's the first one, a clear understanding, a clear grasp of God's will. That's where obedience begins. So we want to, we want to define what God wants us to do. Knowing it's God's will is critical. So let me ask you tonight, and I'm not going to dwell on this point too much, but... Would you be willing to say 
let's just say there's a let's just say there's a young person here tonight that struggles with respect for uh, authority or got their leadership of their parents. Let's just say that. And by the way, I'm, I'm not saying I've never been there. I was there as a teenager. I know what it's like. But you're never going to fix the problem until you identify the problem. And the place to start is to say, God, I know that you have something better for me than this. I know this is not your will. I know it would be pleasing to you if I had a better attitude toward authority or toward my parents. I'm just using that as an example. We could talk about anything tonight. You have, to, you have to be willing to say, I know God wants me to get this area of my life under control. I know that God wants me to do better in this area of my life. Peter was very specific. We know it. We know, as I said, many of these things are God's will. And Jesus answered him, and not with any elaborate, convincing, high pressure, you know, get out of the boat. No, he just said one simple word, come, in verse, in verse 29, come. So what is it that you know you should be doing, but something is keeping you back? The answer is, first question, is it God's will? What is it that we know we should be doing, but fear or something else is holding us back? Is it God's will? It's, it's, the question is not, is it going to be easy? The question is not, is everybody else doing it? The question is not, is it comfortable? The question is not, is it, is it convenient? The question is, is this something God wants me to do? So that's the first thing, a clear understanding of God's will. The second thing we see in our text is there needs to be a willingness to accept the challenge of change and improvement. We have to be willing to accept the challenge. It is a challenge. We have to be willing to accept that challenge. And Peter did it. He got down out of the boat. Now, I, I wish I could know what he was thinking. I have no idea what he was thinking. I don't know what he was feeling. Like I said, if I was there and Peter said, Lord, if that's you, bid me to come, and Jesus had come, then all of a sudden I'm sure I'd be thinking, you idiot. And now what are you going to do? Not only, not only are you supposed to get out there, but everybody's watching you to see if you're going to do it. I don't know what he was thinking, but I know this. We have to leave the place. We have to be willing to leave the place that we're comfortable with. When I was preparing this, I was thinking of the, a lot of the people in the church will remember this. Years ago, many years ago, I don't know how many, uh, the church gave us as a gift for something. I think they wanted to get rid of me. They gave us a gift of a hot air balloon ride. How many of y'all remember that? And so we waited about, about a year to go. And because uh, I want to, if we're going to use it, I want to do it in a good spot. So we were out, I was preaching a revival in Colorado Springs, and I thought this would be a good place to do a hot air balloon ride. And I'll, it was just such a, I was, I was pumped, I was ready for it. My wife was scared to death, <laughs> right? She was really fearful. And um, so we finally get out there, and 
get ready to launch. I wish I could, there were so many interesting things about this trip. But it was so smooth, we didn't even, rip, we couldn't even feel it when we lifted off. And you know, it's not like you go really high, but we got up to about 3,000 feet elevation. It's anywhere from one to 3,000 that you have to be. So you're up there, not a lot to, not a lot of options if something goes wrong. But it was, took off so smoothly, we couldn't even feel it when it took off. The winds were contrary, being instead of blowing normally from the west to the east to keep us away from areas like the Garden of the Gods, they were blowing from the right east to the west, kind of. It actually took us really close to the Garden of the Gods, beautiful scenery. It, it required us to be up in the air a lot longer than planned. It was all wonderful. And, um, and when it set back down, you couldn't even feel it when we touched down. And my wife was ready to go up again. It's, we haven't been up again, but she was... The point being, you know, you have to be willing to take that first step. You have to be willing. If, 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 if there were people sitting here tonight, and you know, not because I'm saying it, but because you know the Bible, that you should be more involved in reaching out to our community, showing up, going out with someone, going door to door, giving out literature, engaging people, and you know, you know it would be pleasing to God. You know you would feel better about yourself if you did it, but yet something holds you back. It, it's, you're not going to get over all those thoughts, those jittery feelings. It, we have to step out of the comfortable place we're in. But we do it knowing that God is in it, knowing that God wants us. We have to take that first step. The reason it's uncomfortable is because it's unfamiliar. We stay in the status quo. We stay in the place. Now, you know, people, when people, I, I, I'm pretty confident in this. Nobody said this to me, but I'm pretty confident when people walked in today and saw these seats in a different place, they immediately had a panic attack. It's not that the chairs are any different. It's not that the building's any different. It's not the temperature's any different. We just like to be in the same place, Right? That's, and sometimes that's okay, but I'm going to tell you, things like that keep people, really, and I'm not talking about the seating arrangement, I'm just talking about keep, keep people out, of, they get in this comfort zone, this place, that I'm very comfortable, nothing challenges me, I'm okay, I know nobody's going to get in my seat, but something happens and it just disrupts our plan. We have to be willing to accept the challenge of change and the improvement that we need in our life. It's less threatening on Saturday morning to stay at home. It's less threatening. It's not more spiritual just than go out and knock on doors or talk to people, engage people spiritually. It's always comfortable to stay where other people are. The majority of people stayed in the boat. It's comfortable. To, uh, many, you know... Being a disciple means we're wanting to follow Jesus, though. It means we want to obey Him, and wherever He leads, we want to go. Let me make an application tonight. This is where, this is what happened for many of us when we got saved. 
Nobody ever got saved thinking they wanted to stay the way they are. People get saved when they understand that they're lost. They're going to go to hell if they don't get saved. They put their faith in Christ. They trust in the Lord. But you have to step out. You have to step out by receiving Christ. Step out by acknowledging your need to be saved. Step out knowing there's a whole lot about being saved that you know nothing about. But you do it by faith. You trust the Lord by faith. That's what's keeping some people probably in this room from not getting saved. It's because they don't, want to, they don't want to change. They like where they are. They like to be in charge. They like to be in control. They like to run their life. You know, if, you're, if you're going to go that way, you can go that way, but you're going to go to hell that way. We have to be willing to... Or, let me just say this. Some people are afraid of what their friends might think. What if I got saved? I mean, what if I really got born again? What if all of a sudden I got saved and I fell in love with the Bible and I fell in love with church and I fell in love with Jesus? What are my friends going to think? You've, and, and that's fearful to some people. But I'm telling you, that fear will take you to hell. I, I think one of, the, one of the things that keeps revival from happening in our lives personally is there are no fresh steps of obedience. We just keep going, just stay in the same rut. Keep doing the same thing, keep doing it the way we're doing it. We're not growing, nobody's benefiting, but we're, you know, we feel comfortable with it. So number two, there has to be a willingness to accept the challenge of change and improvement. Thirdly, to get out of the boat, there must be faith in God's ability. Faith in God's ability. See, when we, if you were to show up here on Saturday morning or some other time that you do it and say, I want to, I want to, give me a handful of tracks. I'm going to go down the road and I'm going to be witnessing to people. I want to, you know, when you, when you step out to do that, you're not doing that because you think you've got it mastered. And you, you're, we do it trusting not in our ability. We tr do it trusting in God's ability. Peter believed that God was in this. I mean, God had invited him to come. What if, what if God were to just speak to you right now tonight, sitting right where you're sitting, in a way that you could not misunderstand it, and God were to say to you, I want you to quit letting your fear of people keep you from witnessing and I want you to start letting me work in your life and you become the witness you ought to be. God said that to you. You say, well, I, I, that might make a difference. I want to tell you, God has said it to us. He said it to us in his word. And it's, a, it's not trusting in ourselves. It's not trusting in our winsome personality. It's not trusting in our preparation. It's trusting in God. This is not about doing what we can do without God's help. This is such a simple matter, but it's true. If, if, if the lifestyle that you're living does not require faith on your part, then you're not living the life that God wants you to live. 
If you can do it without Him, I'm telling you, God has a lot more planned for you than you realize. It's, it's, number three, it requires faith in God's ability. We're, not, we're leaving our comfort zone trusting God. If I, were to, if I were to ask the people in this room today, how many of you, before you ever taught a Sunday school lesson, or before you ever preached your first sermon, how many of you were fearful at the thought of it? Most people would say yes. I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified at the thought of it, the idea of it. Standing up and preaching. And I, I, I'm not saying that, I've, that I never get nervous going to a door witnessing or anything because sometimes I still think about it. I wonder about it. But I'm telling you, I used to be just terrified. The idea of getting, walking up to a stranger's house and knocking on the door. And, you know what I'm saying? So how, why do you do it? Because we do it trusting God. We do it trusting the Lord. We step out trusting in God. I believe the Bible teaches this, that all of us have this sort of innate, this inborn tendency to trust in ourselves. Rely upon ourselves. Rely upon our own energy. Rely upon our own wisdom. But faith is not trusting in you. Faith is trusting in God. It's faith in God's ability. We leave our comfort zone trusting in God. So, number one, we have a clear understanding of God's will. Number two, we have a willingness to accept the challenge. Number three, we have faith in God's ability. Number four, it's the assurance. We have the assurance that if we fall... He will be there for us. The assurance. You say, well, what if I do this and I, and I go up to the door and I just have stage fright? It'll be okay. Let, hear me. Please hear me. You would be better off standing in front of a stranger's door, speechless and stricken with stage fright than you would staying at home doing nothing. Right? I don't know if you ever thought about this, but there is no guarantee in the Bible that obedience to God will always go smoothly. What happened to Peter? Look in verse 30, it says, When he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Whether you've ever thought about this or not, God knows that you and I will not always perform perfectly, even when we're seeking to do His will. God knows that. Just because you're going to do something you've never done before trusting God doesn't mean you're not going to have a, a mistake. What did Peter do? The Bible is very clear. He cried out in verse 30. He cried out to the Lord. And verse 31 says, Immediately Jesus stretched forth His hand, and caught him. Why did he begin to sink? He began to sink because he was letting his circumstances guide his emotions. It's, it could happen to any of us. I've seen people get up preparing to preach a seven or eight minute sermon. It's their opportunity. After, after a minute and a half, they're done. They preached all five pages of notes. <laughs> but you know what? 
They did it. If you did it trusting God, it's a good thing. Nobody ever grew spiritually doing nothing. Not trust. No one ever did. It's a challenge. But we have this assurance that if we, if we try to do it and we fail, God will be there to help us. If we sink obeying God, we can count on Him to lift us up. In reality, it'd be better to sink, I said this earlier, I think, outside the boat than to never get out of the boat. I'd rather see people try to do something for God that they believe God wants them to do and by outward appearance make mistakes than just sit and do nothing. Right? I think one of the most damaging things to Christians' life is just comfort and being in a rut, the status quo, the fear of change. So we have this assurance. We have the assurance that if we fall, He will be there to catch us. The last, the last thing we see in this text I'm talking about things that will help us get out of the boat. A clear understanding. This is God's will. A willingness to accept the challenge. Faith in God's ability. The assurance that if we fall, God will be there for us. And the last thing is the desire to see God glorified. Look in verse 32. It says, And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him. Didn't worship Peter, they worshipped the Lord. Saying, of a truth, thou art the Son of God. When At the end of the day, after this all happened, you know what they did? The people in the boat worshipped God. They glorified God. By the way, that ought to be our desire, to glorify God. They praised God for what He had done. They praised God for what they had seen. They praised the Lord that Jesus walked on the water. They praised the Lord that Peter walked on the water. They praised the Lord that the wind ceased. Look in verse 32. The wind ceased. I mean, this boat, this boat full of disciples kind of erupted in a praise and worship time to glorify God. You say, why is that such a big deal? Because ultimately, that ought to be our motive for getting out of the boat. Not that we want to feel comfortable. Not that we want to get attention. But that we want to glorify God. God is glorified when we obey Him. God is not... Listen. God is not glorified if I take the easy way out. God is not glorified if I just do what comes naturally. God is not glorified when I insist on having my way. God is not glorified in any of these things, but when we obey God and we do it by faith and we leave our comfort zone, God will be glorified. When you start doing something that you realize right now where you sit tonight is something 
that God would be more pleased if you'd move in this direction. When you start doing that, you don't get the credit for it. God does. And by the way, not only will God be glorified, but other people will be helped. These people, in this, this peop, these people right here in the boat, they were helped. When they saw what Peter did, when they saw what Jesus did, it actually helped them. But if everybody stays in the boat, if everybody chooses the safe and comfortable ride, then who gets helped? You know what people need to see, young person? They don't need to see how cool you are. They need to see how great God is. They need to see how good God is. I, wouldn't you just, don't you just love it when somebody just really gets right with God or really gets saved or really gets, and all of a sudden everybody can just see it. Their life has changed. You know why? Because God is glorified in that. That's why we testify to God's goodness. That's why we give God praise. One of the things that I see in this passage is we see this, this common characteristic and that is it's always easier to do something when others are doing it. You know, if Peter wouldn't have got out of the boat, nobody would have even been shaken up about this deal. What would, what would happen? What would happen in a church? What would happen in a youth group? What would happen among a children if you had one or two teenagers get genuinely, thoroughly right with God? You know what? It would shake things up. It would. And you know what? It would help other people. It would help other people. But, but if everybody just is satisfied with the status quo and we're comfortable with the way things are, we're, we, we say we're saved, we go to church, then nothing's really, we don't move the needle. I didn't, I didn't have, and this is one of my big regrets in life, and I have some. People say, well, I'd, if I had to do all over again, I wouldn't do anything differently. But I, I don't say that. I've done a lot of things differently. But one of my big regrets in life was that I didn't get saved and serve the Lord when I was a teenager. And there are two reasons that I regret that. Number one, because of it, I did a lot of things and went a lot of places and have a lot of memories that I wish I didn't have. But the other side is a more positive reason. I would have liked to have seen how God could have worked in my life and used me as a teenager, in my school, for instance. My wife and I, I'm kinda, this is not off the beaten path very far, but we, we reflect some on our years of high school and people that we knew in high school. And I wasn't saved when I was a teenager. And we went to a pretty large I mean, I think our graduating class was in the hundreds. I don't know how many hundreds. We were talking about the other day. Hundreds of people in our graduating class. But there were people in my class that I thought, those were really good people. Those people were different than me. I didn't know they were saved. Now, we communicate with some of them through social media. And those people were saved. Been, would have been a wonderful thing as a teenager to live a sold-out life as a Christian. Not for our personal benefit, but for God's glory. 
And I think there are probably people here, not just teenagers, but adults as well. And you know that God has something more for you. But because you don't see others in your age group or others in your circle of friends fully obeying God, it's fearful to you. It's intimidating to you. But you know what? God's looking for somebody that's willing to get out of the boat. What area of your life would God want you to get out of the boat? Get out of your comfort zone. Trust God by faith. Accept the challenge of changing some things in your life to make your life better. Trusting in God's ability. You say, well, what if I do that and I fall? He'll be there to catch you. He'll be there to catch you. And He'll be glorified in it. Amen? So what are you, what are you going to do with this tonight? Young person, what are you going to do with this? Are you just going to say, I don't really care about any of that stuff. I'm just going to be cool. And I challenge you. to say, you know what? With God as my helper, I'm going to do better than this. I'm going to trust Him. It's going to be awkward. It is awkward. Right? It is awkward. It's not comfortable. But it's where the blessing is. Obedience to God. Some of you need to be saved. If you'd be honest in your heart, you don't know the Lord. And some of you need to say, you know, and I'm in this category, what I'm about to say. Some of you need to say, you know, with God as my helper, I'm going to accept the challenge of improving in areas of my life for His glory. Amen.